Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. Hey, I'm Katie Truther with Louisiana Sister Squad podcast. And tonight I'm joined by Ebby from Jambalaya Talks. And I'm happy to be here. So we could talk about feminism, feminazis, something like that. <laughs> tonight we're going to be talking about feminism, feminist, femininity, and kind of what's taking our culture by storm. So I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm going to turn it over to you, Ebby. And we can kind of dive in into doing what you do so wonderfully is giving us some context and some definitions of these words to make sure we're all on the same page while we're talking about feminism. Awesome. So I think we kind of wanted to start from some origins. And the one thing about this topic is that there isn't really a particular origin. It's kind of like you have the beginning starting in multiple places in history. So I kind of want to start with this, um, that there was a woman named Melina Abdullah, and she is the chair of the Department of Pan-African Studies at California State University. And she's also the co-founder of BLM in LA. And uh, she opened an event, this is after the George Floyd incident, um, explaining that while the movement is a social justice movement, it is first and foremost a spiritual movement. So we need to keep in mind that feminism is not something that is opposite of spirituality. It's actually going to use spirituality, but not in the way that we think. So how did they practice spirituality while they were fighting for a quote unquote social justice? Um, She led a group on a ritual and they began to recite names. And the names were those that were taken by violence. You guys probably remember seeing on the news that they would say, say her name that kind of thing with Breonna Taylor and so on and so forth. And what they did was they began to also call in ancestors. Um, So they believe that the ancestors were being called back to animate their own justice, which is like really creepy and weird. But they started calling out George Floyd and they'd say a term that's, uh, I believe is pronounced Asse. And after every name, they'd say Asse. So Philandra Castile, Andrew Joseph, Michael Brown, Eric Garner. Then they even went into Harriet Tubman, Okay, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. And as each name was recited, Dr. Abdullah poured libations. So whenever I hear about somebody pouring out libations, maybe it's the hood still left over in me. I picture NWA pouring out of 40. I don't know, maybe that's what they did. But they poured out libations on the ground and the group chanted like, it was about a hundred of them chanted say, which in Yoruba is a term often used by practitioners of something called Ifa, which is a faith and divination system that originated in West Africa. And in return, this ritual, Dr. Abdullah explained, is a form of worship. So now I'm going to jump into third wave feminism. And I know it seems like a great leap, but we're gonna tie this all together. So this started in 1990s. And we have to remember it was a backlash. It was a response to the second wave's perceived privilege of white straight women. So notice what I just said about reading what this woman did, right, was a form of worship where they were chanting these terms and calling up these gods or goddesses. And then we have third wave feminism in the 1990s, which obviously is before BLM. 
and they believed that straight white women had basically hijacked feminism. It didn't consider them. Okay. So I'm going to share this little piece. Keep the first two things I shared, and now let's tie it together with this. So there's something called theosophy. Theo is from, it's the root form of God, okay, the Greek word for God, and Sophie, Sophia, wisdom. So theosophy is wisdom, God-like wisdom. Um, if you think about Eve in the garden, right, what did she get tricked into believing? That if she ate from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that she would be as God. So she would no longer need to turn to God or trust in God. She could be equal to God, right? This is actually the first feminism because here you have Adam, right? Who is patriarchy, the first man she's supposed to be working with, okay? To establish their God-like authority on the earth. And then you have God. God gives them the rules of what they're not to do. She not only usurps Adam's authority, she usurps God's authority to become like God. Essentially, feminism is not just coming against the patriarchy of men, it is literally coming against the patriarchy of God. So, yeah, so Eve is trying to usurp authority from her husband and also from God, right? So, because of that, the enemy was able to get in and create division between the man and the woman. And from that point on, there has been a constant fight for position of hierarchy. Even within the Christian faith, there is something called evangelical feminism. Really weird. And the argument goes like this. If you don't uh, allow me to be submitted to, and I submit to you equally, not in the order that God gave, then you're not acknowledging the God-likeness in me. So even in Christianity, it is come in. Madame Helena Blavitsky, Blavatsky, I'm sorry, who was a, a um, leader of theosophy. I believe Hitler even read her books and followed a lot of her teachings, very esoteric. And she believed that we had to unburden from the sins of Eve. There was also a woman named Woodhull who argued against women's involuntary domesticity in the heteronormative family and instead advocated for free love. So here goes the sexual revolution before the sexual revolution the rights of sex workers, and reproductive freedom. So when women like Woodhull and other feminists were taunted as witches and Satanists and even as demonic, they embraced these labels with pride. If you think about the women that are feminists now, if you notice a lot of the screeching harpies that you see in a lot of the crowds, you know, or the pussy hats, right? All, all of this very, very sexual behavior, overtly aggressive kind of taking on the persona of everything evil you call us, we will embody that. There has got to be a spiritual component to this. This can't simply be, I want to have equal rights with men. And the reason why I say that is they're not arguing for anything in particular, right? They're not saying in this particular field, we don't feel that we're seen. The reason why they can't argue that is because they will lose the argument. One of the examples I can give is when they argue about not getting equal pay. Well, the thing that they don't mention is how do you get equal pay in sectors that women don't really present at the same rate that men do? You don't see a lot of women construction workers. You don't see a lot of women engineers. Now, we could argue about women being allowed in that field to the same degree, but honestly, women don't typically go for those fields. Men do. So when women enter them, right, it makes sense that 
not they get paid less, but in comparison to men, because they don't present number wise, it makes sense that they would not bring home the same amount of money. They don't do the same amount of work. They don't have the same amount of health issues. And some of them get pregnant and need paid leave for children. Men don't need that. So you can see that all the way back in history, this was an idea that had nothing to do with our uh, 21st century Western culture. That means that ideology has to be rooted in something else. So we got to take it out of the American Revolution ideology and bring it back to its roots. So I found that one of the first ideas of early feminism actually came in the classic Republic of Plato. So he advocated that women possess quote unquote natural capacities equal to men for governing and defending ancient Greece. But not everyone agreed with Plato. Plato was, was not that smart, even though they like to brag about him. I, I tend to agree with the people that didn't agree with Plato because I don't think women should govern in the way that men do. But when the women of ancient Rome staged a massive protest over the opium law, which restric restricted women's access to gold and other goods, Roman consul Marcus Portius Cato argued, as soon as they begin to be your equals, they will have become your superiors. That's really interesting because isn't that kind of what's happening right now? Anytime we see people vying for a particular right that they feel they're not getting, they're never content to actually get the right, right? At first it was women should have the right to vote. Now they vote, that's not enough. Then it was women want the right to work in uh, the same fields as men. And now we have that to a greater degree than women ever had it. That's not enough. Now women actually want to be seen as men. Now, despite Cato's fears, the law was actually repealed. In the book of the City of Ladies, a 15th century writer, Christine de Pizon, protested misogyny and the role of women in the Middle Ages. Years later, during the Enlightenment, writers and philosophers like Margaret Cavendish, the Duchess of Newcastle, Mary Wollstonecraft, author of A Vindication of the Rights of Women, argued vigorously for greater equality for women. So my argument is this, if you see that this goes deep into the trenches of history, again, we cannot make this a new phenomenon. This is not a novice idea that women want rights. I believe that it goes so far back, you have to start with the garden. And for all of those that don't have a biblical or bibliocentric worldview, you're gonna have a really hard time making this a 21st century problem or even an 18th century problem. Because if Plato was writing about this, then we see that the family and the normative idea of, of what the family structure was, was being pushed up against. I would argue it wasn't because women were tired of staying home, doing the dishes and taking care of the children because there weren't a lot of offers for women to go and be senators, okay, back in this time. I believe that because of the enemy of our souls planting a seed of division in mankind to be displeased and disruptive with what God set in place, right? You're gonna have the sexes warring against each other. And this is proof even with the LGBT coming in full force. Because if you notice, you have the racial argument component to this, you have the gender, and then you have the sexual. And they all seem to be like the three horses of the apocalypse, right? When one rides in, the other two are coming right behind. When one is having an argument about something that they feel they have a right to, the other two are piggybacking. Case in point, 
when BLM was arguing about black people being killed every other five seconds, which we all know is a lie, they weren't content to let this be just a racial issue. You had in those protests LGBT. In fact, all three women that started BLM were lesbians. Okay, so I find it interesting that every time women are arguing about the feminist ideology, not only is there a sexual component where they're kind of perverting the, the nuclear family, notice if you as a woman come against their ideology, they no longer are looking at you as a woman they just simply disagree with. You're a turf or you're anti-woman or you are uh, so traumatized by the patriarchy, you don't have a brain in your head, you cease to be a woman just like them. So this isn't about gender at all or women's rights. The women that are the head of the BLM, is that true? Is that who's really behind this? Or are they puppets for someone else's agenda? I think it's a uh, correlation more than causation. And the reason I say that is I can think back to growing up in West LA because I'm originally from California. And I remember growing up with like gangs going to school with us and they would war against each other and be shooting at the school bus. And one thing that I find interesting is if you go back to like Obama during the time when he was a Senator, he was also a grassroots organizer. And what a lot of these people do is they hone in on the vulnerabilities that do exist in the communities, and then they orchestrate certain things within them. They finance them. Maybe the people that are in these movements don't realize they're being used. You know, they're just kind of useful idiots. They think all oh, these people really believe in our movements. Um, because when I read about Patrice Cullors, <clears throat> I read that she came from a home where her brother was actually killed by a cop. And from very young, um, very young, she was doing some grassroots organization. Um, she grew up Jehovah's Witness, left home and started kind of starting this nonsense that she's doing now and started grifting. And I think at some point people that had money and the political power, they supported her and financed her and others like her. And I think the same thing with the games, you know, I mean, you mean to tell me that we can have government entities shut down whole cities, okay, and put tape on the floor telling you have to stand how many feet apart, signs on the door. And like globally, everybody has this messaging that just pops up very quickly where it's posted everywhere. But you can't get gangs off the street in just various neighborhoods. I find that hard to believe. But if drugs and those kinds of things come coming in are financially beneficial and expedient, right, for you to kind of aid and abet uh, the implosion of a society or a community that much faster, all it is is problem solution, right? It's, it's the Hegelian dialectic. So I think, yes, these women were probably sincere in their ideologies, but they definitely didn't have the, the manpower or the money to do all what they did, you know, the most mostly peaceful protests, right? They didn't have the money to do that. I did kind of want to jump into Norma McCorvey, right? Who was the woman that Roe v. Wade was pushed behind because she actually made a statement. I don't know a lot of people know this, but she became a born again believer and she repented of what she did. Um, she does not support abortion, which is why you don't see her trotted out anymore. But she said this, she said, I was persuaded by feminist attorneys to lie, to say that I was raped and needed an abortion. It was all a lie. Since then, over 50 million babies have been murdered. I will take this burden to my grave. So when you're talking about 
uh, the power of the feminist movement, just keep in mind that this ideology is not, I just wanna believe what I believe and have certain rights that I think the government owes me. This is literally catastrophic and it has caused the death of innocent life. And they propped up a woman who had a child out of, out of wedlock. And because she even went on to have a, a, um, a daughter who she's not connected to at all. She's not in her life. And the daughter has like disavowed, you know, her mother because of her position. So they've already gotten to the daughter politically. This is so egregious and evil that it's not even funny. Like it's so evil. You've got young girls, 12 and 13, with placards at protests saying, I wish my mother had aborted me. I mean, just think about the mindset that this is producing in young women where they're nihilistic and angry and they don't trust men. Uh, some of them want to be boys now, which is a way to try to, I guess, have control, right? When they don't feel they have control, so they, they become the very thing they hate. It's just, it's so egregious and ugly. It really is. I don't believe that uh, Norma even had an abortion. No, I don't think she did. That's the daughter, I, the, the girl, the child she had, I think is the daughter that disavows right. her. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, she lied. they really propped her up and then they yes. used her as a catalyst in this case. And then she yes. never even had an abortion. So no. I mean, just talk about, you know, doing whatever it takes for some money. I mean, holy shit. Yeah. And the, the outcome of it has been devastating. You know, even when you're talking about the numbers, every time I hear the statistic about more black babies are aborted than born in New York City, yes. I, I like I, it just breaks my heart. Like I genuinely, I genuinely feel pain because I feel like we're headed in a direction where there's just an overwhelming amount of people that don't appreciate life. And you talk about the young kids or even the, the kids in college, even I've seen some older people doing the same thing. Every time they ask you, well, well, you had the opportunity to be born. They always have that same response of like, well, I wish I wouldn't have. Are yes. they saying that because now they're cornered or, you know, and they've heard that said before, are these people just really that depressed that it comes out so easily to say, that's like if I got in a car accident and I called you and I said, hey, I got in a car accident and you said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, unfortunately, like I totally wish I would have died. <laughs> you would say, you would say, oh my God, Katie, like, why are you saying that? What's right. wrong? But this, this level of mentally unwell is just being so widely accepted. We're not, we're not going, oh my God, why are you saying that? Like, right. what's going on with you? We're not, just can't even check in with people because the level of insanity, are we even qualified to ask those questions to somebody who is obviously having some kind of suicidal ideation? They're thinking about it. They want to die. Like, yes. what is going on? Not only do you want to die, you want to and other life, which brings me to something that I think about all of the time about them normalizing the mental disorder that's mm -hmm. really behind it. And that's truly what it is. And it has yes. been for a very long time, but now that it's able to be pushed through is that in what other place or time did we as a society allow the mentally unwell to commit self-harm without intervention. 
because the outcome of having these procedures done, whether it's an abortion or some kind of transition surgery or hormones and all of these things, we are allowing mentally unwell people to make decisions for themselves. Is the next move when we see someone up on a ledge or that wants to jump off a bridge, we're going to be chanting them on now going, yes, do you. Canada looks like they're going that direction. I mean, remember this whole thing, I mean, kind of, I don't want to say it started, but it kind of went full steam ahead uh, with the advent of COVID. Because if you can frame something in a way that makes you come off as though you are more compassionate, okay? If you can frame something in a way where you can be a part of the good team, all right, and the good tribe, you first have to make winners and losers, right? One thing that I remember coming out of the church I was in, and that, and I hated it so much, was that the pastor created winners and losers. So it was no longer a body of people coming from various backgrounds, various experiences, all acknowledging that we're all saved by God's grace together, which is what unifies us. It was, a uh, whose team are you playing for? If I do something egregious, you're on my team if you defend me. We were even told not to ever confront him publicly, okay, to never say anything bad about him. Like it was like a, a celebrity, you know, I don't know, NDA or something. <laughs> it's crazy. And with COVID, that same kind of thing, you know, this is why psycholinguistics is so powerful because it happens without you knowing it's happening, right? You have a visual of a little boy plastered against the glass saying hi to grandma, right? That's going to do something to you emotionally, even if logically you understand what the game is. Because do you want to be a grandma killer? Most of us don't. Do you want to be seen as insensitive to those people who have this particular need or this particular problem? Well, far be it from you to ever be in that group, right? You'll be in the minority. The majority of us all want grandma to live. We all want the little boy to see his grandma. We all want everybody to mask up, injection in the arm, be safe. We all want that. Except the problem is if you are a thinking person, if you challenge and question, which is what science allows for, if you go, you know what, I'm not really sure about that. Let me let me look a little deeper. Well, before you were praised for that, that was actually called critical thinking back then. Now it's called being racist or phobic in some way, right? You're fearfully afraid of something if you actually question whether or not it's agreeable to you. You're not allowed to have an opinion. You're not allowed to have a thought or disagreement. You must join the ranks of the majority, the so-called majority, right? It makes me think of that picture when uh, it's a black and white picture of everyone giving the Nazi salute and there's that one guy who, who didn't do it. And a lot of people don't know this, but uh, he was actually killed uh, when, that, when what he did was fully realized. It's unfortunate that these types of topics, right? We're talking about feminism or um any type of transgenderism lgbt race all these things are on one hand crammed down our throats right the ideology they want us to have when i say they i mean the global elites those in power who are creating the narrative that you're a loser if you don't accept the narrative you're a winner if you do so a lot of the people that are even pushing this stuff i don't even believe that they actually believe it wholeheartedly i really don't i think People are very, very self-preserving. 
right? And I mentioned this before, but I remember one of the things that was really disturbing during the Black Lives Matter, um, I won't even dignify them by calling them protests, the, the terrorists, you know, that were claiming that they were being maligned because of their race. When this was happening, one of the things that a lot of store, uh, I'm sorry, um, businesses and homes did was they sprayed BLM on their house or they put signs out. And I have a video of like a black business being broken into in the glass, being smashed, even with the sign on the door. The irony in that is so rich because they were like, please don't touch us. Please don't tear down our building. We align with you, even though they did it. Right. And it was primarily black uh, um, neighborhoods that got destroyed through a lot of that. So it's interesting that people will do anything and everything to not pay the price of going against the grain and they end up paying it anyway, inadvertently. So to me, it makes more sense to stand against the nonsense, even if it costs you because um, knowing history like I do, reading about you know Stalin, which I love European history, it's my favorite. The interesting thing about those stories about those leaders is that even when people acquiesced, they were not left alone. They were just not left alone. So if we acquiesce, to this feminist ideology that women are somehow a, a victimized group, which is absolute not like there's no proof for this. There's no proof for this at all. A woman could be in a restaurant and a waiter brush up against her by accident and she can claim sexual harassment. And guess what? She must be believed because if she's not believed, then the patriarchy has won. Right. And some of the terminology that I found, it actually said um, that instead of no means no, now they've changed it to yes means yes. I don't even know when this happened. <laughs> My brain went, I'm like, when did this happen? The language keeps on just changing. Right. Like Winston said in 1984. Yes means yes. Why? Well, we need to actually affirm that the person said it's OK. So that's so no means no is no longer good enough. It's right. just a never. Yeah, it's a never ending a never-ending rabbit trail that leads into fertilizer. That's, that's, well, that's what it is. Yeah, it definitely feels like we are on the fast track to absolutely nowhere. You know, it's kind of interesting that you brought up about the propaganda of the event, right? They mm -hmm. put the signs, the stickers, the messaging and things mm -hmm. like that. And that's so funny that you tied it into like gangs like they could essentially brainwash people to be a better society yes however when you look at the propaganda they are everything about what their messaging is is the destruction of of humanity mm -hmm. i mean it's an attack on the home it's an attack on the children it's an attack on on women on faith you cannot say anything bad about all of these other religions and beliefs but it is absolutely okay to demonize believers and we'll absolutely. call them we'll call them christians just yes. for the sake of being under under the umbrella of being believers yes. um because we're trying to stay on topic but believers if if i say i believe and god and jesus christ is my savior it's totally fine for someone to call me a Bible thumper. It's it's yeah. fine for somebody to tell me they're above me in some way. And it's okay to degrade just a specific class of people. Here comes the trolls right into the comments and they're saying, well, now you know how it feels. Well, there's been a large majority of people for a very long time that has said, 
that is not right. So some mm -hmm. things, you know, needed to change over time and, and society has to catch up on some things to get to where we are. But that's right. At the end of the day, we have to look at ourselves for accountability and say, that's right. Am I contributing to that? But what I can control is my actions today. And I have to take accountability for my actions today. And I find that that is the biggest gap of where people are lacking is they're yes. so tied up in the issues and who's who and how they're treated and so on and so forth. And they don't look at their own actions to say how they're contributing to either the peace or the chaos. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, I want to, I just want to show this video really quickly. This is from a good friend of mine, Jill Hines with Louisiana Health Freedom. This is the consequence to uh, the propaganda and the mismanagement of the most recent event. I'll give you a quick recap. This is about the girl's grandmother. She was in an assisted living community and the whole family contributed to going to check on her. So basically every day a family member was going to visit with her. In March of 2020, when they shut everything down, they shut her out of the nursing home. You couldn't go anymore. Then she recalls, um, she, they kept calling and they would say, she's okay. Her condition is stable. She's, do she's doing fine. No change. Same thing every single day. Suddenly, they got a call that said, grandmother is not doing well. You need to get to the hospital quickly. The reason the story is important is because when she explains the condition her grandmother is in, the doctor had to surgically remove the grandmother's tongue from the roof of her mouth because she was so severely dehydrated. That means you had no oral care whatsoever for how long she goes through to say that they were allowed to visit with the grandma they saw the condition she was in how much weight she had lost and then they were told because there was restricted access for visitors they had to leave and 30 minutes later her grandmother died alone this was in april of 2020 so in a matter of one month this took place what she points out is that this is a this was a complete fail of humanity. Another important thing I wanted to highlight about that video is now in Louisiana, Jill with Louisiana Health Freedom has signed, uh, they just signed into law was no patient left alone act. So when we keep asking what's been done to stop this from happening again, this is one component of something that's very important that people can advocate for in other states. So Florida already has this, and then this is the improved matter of it. But this really showcases the mismanagement of it, the propaganda of it, and then it's an inside look of what was happening, not only in nursing homes, but hospitals. This is so many huge components, and no, this is not on feminism. This is not on feminism, but this is a perfect example of something that we all have just gone through and the result of propaganda and mismanagement by our government. And that's not just here in the United States, this is globally. No, absolutely. I agree with you. When people believe a lie, it, it ends up causing a lot of pain and suffering. And I was just thinking, as you were talking about the nurses, you know, who were scared, I just wondered what demographic of nurses of those that were scared were also doing the TikTok videos, but I, I digress. 
Um, <laughs> I would love to know right. that. Yeah, they had a lot of time on their hands and they didn't seem to be afraid to shoot a bunch of uh, videos doing different dances. You know, I don't know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is just more things that contribute to, uh, you know, our perception of reality. Yes. And if we if we don't stand up, this is a perfect example, is that we didn't stand up and so many people were harmed. Yes. There was people that tried to speak out online. There was protest. There was actually global yeah. protest during the lockdown. There was. That, oh, it looks like I'm a little frozen. Um, during the lockdown that was not broadcast on any mainstream media. I mean, all around the world, thousands upon thousands of people um, were marching in the streets to say enough is enough, but yes. they didn't show it. And that was- They it. were blocked. Nothing. Yeah, and, them, and, yeah, and nothing, you know, is really made of it as far as here in America. So in the United States is that if you didn't see any of those things and you look at something like a January 6th situation, you say, oh, well, you know, it's it's this, it's and that. No, these are the people that have been continuously trying to fight for your rights. And this is the consequence of when it's publicized is you're right. going to pay the full extent of the law. There are still people yes. in jail that have not that have not received trial and what what that means is they're sending a message to people that are fighting for freedoms to say you better think twice because we're going to ruin your life but when it comes to us fighting for hum humanity um i feel like they have a lot of our backs against the wall right now and you know you have to be in fight or flight mode because who's going to do something if we do nothing who's going to do it it's it's really scary I was just watching uh, Stephen Crowder today and he was giving an example of how America is the best country when it comes to free speech in comparison to other countries um, to someone who didn't think America was so great. And he lamented about one of his friends who was a comedian who made a joke about, I think, uh, the St. Jude Hospital. And he made an off-color joke about children in wheelchairs or whatever. And what they did was they fined him $15,000, I believe, in a court. And he was making the point that freedom of speech is so valuable. We don't really realize how valuable it is until it's stripped from us. And I think to your point, it's funny how people are afraid to say things because of what they may lose, but they don't realize they're losing it anyway, right? There's this, uh, I love this episode of Twilight Zone called The Librarian. And there's an old man who loves books uh, all of a sudden he comes into this dystopian type of nightmare. The world is taken over by a totalitarian system. And the gentleman who is basically saying, you need to get rid of these books because the way that you think is so outdated, right? These words and this language, we don't use any of that, it's offensive. And so the man refuses to, to really let go of his books. He knows that he's got an appointed day to die. So he's like reading his books and reading his books. He's locked up in the room with these books. And all of a sudden language changes where not only this old man, is able to hold this totalitarian dictator accountable, he's able to use his own laws against them. Okay, so now the very thing that he wanted to imprison this old man for is the very thing that he now is going to be in prison for. There's a very, very important lesson there. And that is the very thing that you think is okay when it happens to someone else, it's not gonna be too long before it happens to you. You can hide in your cave, you can be silent as a church mouse, and you can try to avoid all controversy and live your nice, quiet, safe life. But that safety is afforded to you because other people actually have fought for it. So to be silent and do nothing is not going to protect you. It won't be long before your freedoms are eviscerated as well. It's just a matter of time. 
but people are afraid of fighting back. They are afraid of saying anything. I saw that during um, COVID and it's kind of scary, actually. It's kind of scary. I, I think I more realized how many people are afraid in my own family and close proximity of friends than I ever could have believed. But I think to speak out on anything now really does put a bullseye on your back. But I'm of the mind that all throughout history, if you think that staying quiet was going to protect you, then all those people would have lived, the ones that fought on the wrong side of history, right? There were some people that actually fought on the side of the evildoers that got thrown into the gulags, that got thrown into the concentration camps. And as you just said, January 6th, some people that are in there literally were just on the premises and they left before the entire protest even took place. They were just there and they got locked up. So you're not safe from the deep state or the global elites because you decide to stay silent. In fact, you make it harder for those of us that will speak to fight for your right to disagree. Absolutely. And we see that a lot, just trying to control the speech. The name calling is one of my favorite. <laughs> There really is nothing new under the sun, and there's nothing new when it comes to their games and their tactics. It's control, it's fear, it's propaganda. It's a constant state of information and confusion. And I think that's where it's so easy for people to get sucked up to an ideology that's contributing to you know our own destruction. So I want to break things down a little bit further, and I want to review feminism. What is a feminist? Before you roll into your definition, I was reading affirmations for a feminist. Okay. This ought to be good. And, and so I'm not going to read the whole thing. There was just one thing in particular that stood out. Everything that I was reading is what I expected. And you're going to, you're going to define, right? But there was one uh, in one of the breakdowns after the intersex infants, children and adults should never be subjected to medical unnecessary surgeries or interventions without fully informed consent. Listen, I agree with that. I agree with mm -hmm. that. I don't know about infants. Can I inform an infant? I don't know. Maybe that's the one where maybe that's the one where they were like, you have to ask your baby, can I change your diaper? You ever had a kid? Their answer is always going to be no. <laughs> you know, um, but this other one that stood out to me inclusive, compassionate healthcare should be universally accept, uh, accessible, acceptable, easy, available, and free as it is a human right, not a commodity or a privilege. It can cost in the range of $300,000 for gender affirming care. Free. By whom? Are the medical professionals going to be, that's all pro bono? No, it's not. We're Taxpayers. paying for it. Taxpayers right. are paying for that and they are yes. being incentivized by the pharmaceutical companies that they're issuing all this medication. I mean, everything from the hormone blockers, um, you know, talk therapy and therapies of the sort. 
and it can only be affirming therapy is also mm -hmm. included in this free healthcare. So really interesting under the affirmations of feminist. Uh, aren't they so loving and compassionate? If only we could maybe become just like them so we wouldn't be accused of hating women or not wanting women to progress or hating trans or wanting them to die through suicide, you know, all the stuff that we're accused of. Um, we need a, we need some uh, clown filters for this yeah. Google meeting. <laughs> yes, we, we do. Join, we can join the crowd. Yes, yes. And we can well. we can mesh in and not and not uh, be accused of hating them or just wear a pussy hat. Maybe we can find one of those. I've got some pink headphones. I don't know if that'll work. Oh, um, I act. I have a real cat. Can I just put that on my head? Put them on your head. Sure. Why not? Bestiality is in. Well, the cat identifies as a hat. So let's roll into, we're going to define feminist, right? Okay, yes. So I'm okay. going to use the definition given online because uh, it's more succinct and then we can kind of break it down from there. So it says that feminism is a range of sociopolitical movements and ideologies that aim to define and establish the political, economic, personal, and social equality of the sexes. Feminism holds the position that societies prioritize the male point of view and that women are treated unjustly in these societies. Efforts to change this include fighting against gender stereotypes, keep that one in mind, and improving educational, professional, and interpersonal opportunities and outcomes for women. That's like gumbo right there. That's like, this is a bunch of stuff thrown in there and see what you pick up every time you pick up a phone. So I, I want us to maybe talk about the first one. They, they aim to define and establish the political, economic, personal. So let's deal with the political first. What would a feminist um, need by way of rights politically? Or, or maybe a better way of asking that, Katie, is what is it that women are barred from doing in the political sphere? Nothing. I don't know. Uh, you sure we're not allowed to vote? Are you sure they're not barring us? Oh, we can. Okay. Uh, what about drive. running for office? We can run for office. Do we have women in positions of leadership in politics? Yes. Okay. What about women running for president? Yeah. Can that they can do that too? Even though they lose, Hillary's still kind of salty about that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's because of the the patriarchy that she lost. Um, I know. What about women campaigning? Women can't do that because their voice can't be heard. Do right. all of these things. Okay. So if we can't come up with something that women cannot do politically, then we'll scratch that one out. What about economics? What is it that women are barred from entry or feel they are given less rights in economically? Because from what I see, my, my metric, most businesses are run by women. On some level, they're run by women. And the reason for that is most women, they can get financial aid, right? And they can get more helps than men can when it comes to actually starting a business. So that one's not really not really working for me. Women usually in certain uh, positions get paid more money as well. They have more help through the government than men do when it comes to even having their job, going to school for a career, right? Getting supplemental income 
so that they can go to school for their career. A lot of men don't get that. And the reason for that is you don't have a lot of single parent men. You don't have a lot of men who are in the same position as women, right? Say a single parent household, uh, being indigenous or of uh, ethnic background, which this is why Pocahontas, uh, AKA Warren, <laughs> pretended to be a person of color because it works, right? The system works. And so you can actually go to school, um, a very prestigious good school because of your ethnicity and because you're a woman. How many, how many white men could probably do that, I wonder? Not too many, okay. Uh, the personal, I don't even know what that means. I think they just, that's lanyap, as we say here. They just threw that in there extra, right? I don't know what women can't personally do <laughs> because, because of the patriarchy. Seems to me they get away with a lot, even lying. Social equality of the sexes. Can you explain that one to me? I, Break it down for what does that mean? Men and women being socially equal. Yeah, uh, equality. That means that means we all have to be in the same mindset. So I can't consider your gender when you're speaking. I have to pretend like you're a potato. <laughs> I have to pretend like you're a potato and listen to you without, <laughs> it doesn't say you don't have to be judgmental, but it just says that it's got to be equal. But right. if feminists hate men in a social setting, aren't they breaking their own rules? Yeah, that's actually a good question. And they are. I think the other problem is you now are going to have because of the ever-changing language, you're going to have to constantly reinterpret what social equality means because socially we keep changing the language of what is and is not acceptable. I just want to thank everybody that's tuned in so far. I am live with Jambalaya Talks. Her name is Ebby. And uh, I am Katie Truther with Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying the show so far. We're having a little bit of technical dif difficulties because the receiver died on my microphone. And so now we've kind of lost audio. We have so much more to cover. We're going to still get to those reaction videos. Uh, interesting things inside of the feminist movement. Can't wait. So tune for part two. Thanks, guys. Before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.